Welcome to the final scene of The Invitation, where businessman Daniel Ross has been investigating the validity of Christianity in a conversation with someone who claims to be Jesus. In this final talk, Daniel presses Jesus and wants evidence for the fact that he indeed is who he claims to be, the Son of God. You see, God longs to have a relationship with you. God longs to have a relationship with every human being on earth. And that's why God, in his love and his mercy, took on the penalty that every human being should take on themselves and died their death for them so he could turn around and then offer them this free gift. Okay, so what do you got to do to get it? Just receive it, that's all. You don't have to do anything? No. And how do you do that? Trust. And that's what all relationships are ultimately about is trust. Then you have to trust that God loves you. And you got to trust that you can't cross that divide over to him, but that he's crossed it for you. And you've got to trust that he paid the penalty and that he offers you forgiveness. And then you've got to place your trust in that free gift and live your life according to his power that's at work in you. God offers you that free gift. Look, Yesh, I don't get it. I mean, I always thought that the Bible taught that Jesus died on the cross, not God. Danny, I am God. These are compliments of the house. Oh, my. Oh, well, thank you, Maria. Uh, you thank you so much. Clients. Well, it's Enjoy, and All please right. come back. God bless. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. wow. You feel that? What? Feel what? Well, mm. ever since Maria gave us dessert, yeah, I feel like there's like a couple hundred pair of eyes on us, and they're <laughs> wondering if we're going to eat this stuff or not. Well, you know what, <laughs> Danny? I've come to realize that you have a very active imagination. Well, well that's past anyway. Let's eat. Mm. So anyhow, being Jesus and all, this has to be a pretty special time of year for you. Yeah, it is. Is it, is it for you? Well, what do you mean? I mean, is, Christ, is Christmas a special time for you and your family? Yes, it is. You know, but I get tired of all the hype and the commercialization of everything that goes on with it. Yeah. Do you and your family do anything special on Christmas? We do. We, we, we'll have a Christmas dinner, and then we'll do the presents thing, and then we end up going to the uh, Christmas Eve service. And what's the point? The point of what? Going to church on Christmas Eve. Well, it gives us a chance to connect with the real meaning of Christmas. And that is? Man, you're asking a lot of questions, aren't you? Do you think so? All right, hey, Danny, you got to lighten up. I, I do have a sense of humor, all right? But let's be serious for a minute. Um, what, does, what does Christmas Eve mean for you? What's it all about for you? Well, it's about Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. That's fair enough. All right. Over the course of dinner, yeah. you were telling me that you are the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that you are God. Mm-hmm. Prove it. Prove to me right now that you're God. Well, I don't know what I could do that would, you know, convince you. Um, why is it, or is it that hard for you to believe that, 
that God would become a man? Yeah, I mean, don't you think that's odd? Maybe it, it depends, I guess, on what I was expecting from God. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I probably wouldn't either, I guess. I mean, you know what I thought when I first met you? What? I thought, okay, here I am meeting Jesus Christ. He's dressed business casual, and he's bald. I mean, that was not an easy one. And I'd like to make a suggestion. If you really are God, you might want to start circulating some new portraits and pictures just to take the edge off for people. Well, you know what? There are going to be some surprises in heaven. Well, you know what? You're probably thinking to yourself that, um, you know, people would look at my life and, and, and not believe who I am. I can understand that based on, on what's going on here. I'm, I mean, what are you thinking? Well, I think that there's not a lot of difference between the religions. I mean, what you've been saying isn't any different, I mean, than, than what's been said before. I mean... Well, I mean, in, in one sense, you're right in terms of, of other religions. I mean, even God would agree that, that what religion has to offer isn't correct. Well, you take the Hindu thing. I mean, none of that makes any sense. No, I, I understand that. Listen, um, God's truth, okay, can be clearly understood. God reveals himself through that, all right? God is not going to ask you to place your trust uh, in him without giving you some proof. So he gives proof before he expects faith. But the world religions don't do that. Like Hinduism, for instance. I mean... If you look at certain sects of Hinduism, they believe that there are over 300 million gods. I mean, what proof do they offer that they exist? None, as far as I'm concerned. Right. That's why you're not a Hindu. There's no reason to believe. What evidence do Buddhists have to offer that this ultimate reality is, you know, is some unseen force called nirvana? Or who can demonstrate, for instance, that... that so God actually spoke to Muhammad or, you know, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons. Yeah, but Jesus is the same. I mean, who's to say that there's any evidence that Jesus is God? Well, for one thing, God said it would happen that way. The Hebrew prophets predicted that the Messiah would come. I don't think they ever said anything about him being God. Well, then you never read Isaiah or Micah or Daniel? Listen, I paid attention in my religion classes at Northwestern, and what they said was that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, mm -hmm. he'd be born in Bethlehem, and they described his crucifixion. That's a pretty good tip-off, don't you think? I mean, seven centuries before I was born, Micah predicted the place, Bethlehem. Daniel, uh, um, excuse me, David, he described my crucifixion centuries before the Romans invented it. And Daniel, well, Daniel predicted the year that I would be crucified 500 years before it happened. And what year was that? That was 33 AD. And as for the Messiah being the Son of God, the Hebrew prophet said that I would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. They said that I existed before the days of eternity. And that I would be worshipped. Still, that doesn't mean that Jesus is God. You know, a few years back, I remember seeing a documentary 
on the historical Jesus. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about was not particularly accurate. Well, you say that, but how do we know? I mean, in that documentary, they said that Jesus never really claimed to be the Messiah, let alone God. And they said that, well, that he wasn't very comfortable with himself, that he, that he just had a difficult time, and that he kind of got wrapped up in all the things that were going on around him. And another thing they said was is that he was, he was actually killed for political reasons. Listen, Daniel, I forgave sins on my own authority. I healed people who were sick. I raised the, the dead to life again. I exercised power over, over nature itself. I mean, before Abraham existed, I was. And I gave eternal life to others. And I received worship. Now, who does that sound like to you? Well, look, just because you claim to be God doesn't mean that you are. Look, I know that that's not what it means. I, I, I understand that, all right? That good religious leaders aren't necessarily God. But understand that a good religious leader, all right, is, is somebody who cannot be God. Do you understand that? Either I told the truth about who I am, or I was lying or I was insane. There are no other options, Daniel. Please understand that um, those who are the followers of God understand within themselves who God is because God reveals himself to them. And that's what I did to the world. A good religious leader just claims that his teachings are the way to go. He doesn't draw people to himself and who he honestly and really is. So what's happened in this world is people have distorted the truth about who I am. And as a result of that, they've rejected the final evidence that I gave that shows that I'm more than just this religious teacher who's asking people to follow a teaching that I really am the one that can change their life. And, and what is that? The final evidence? The fact that I rose from the dead. Look, you're sitting here, you're across the table from me, and you're alive. Mm -hmm. I get that. And if you claim to be dead or have been dead, it would be hard for me to prove otherwise. That's a good point. But why don't we just stick with the evidence, all right? What do you know about me historically? Well, what I know is that you... Wait, let me start that again. Okay. What I know is that Jesus was a teacher with a very large following. And I know that the Romans executed him. I know that his apostles claimed that he was resurrected from the dead. But, of course, they're going to say that. Really? Is, is that what they expected to happen? Well, not that I recall. Despite the fact that I repeatedly told them it would happen? That's true. Did they believe at first when the women told them? No. Well, when did they believe? Well, according to their accounts, they believed when they saw you. Okay. So when, when these men wrote the account of my life, they described themselves as as failing to believe before I was crucified, failing to believe after I was crucified, and then when the evidence hit them in the face, all right, they still hid because they're afraid of the authorities. Now, if you're going to lead uh, a cause, is that the way you're going to portray yourself to get others to come and follow you? It's possible. For what purpose? So that uh, you'll be impoverished, so that you'll be persecuted, or so that you'll be martyred? Look, Lots of people have died for believing in something that was false. Okay. Yes, they'll die for a false philosophy or for uh, a false religion. But you've got to understand, this was different. 
these men, these men died for an historical event. They were there. They, um, they saw it, and they all said that it happened, even though it brought them suffering and death. Listen, you don't die for something that you believe is a lie, especially when it, it brings you no benefit. Yeah, well, maybe they thought that Jesus was dead when he really wasn't. Now, do you think the Romans, the soldiers, actually took people off the cross who weren't dead yet? No, probably not. Well, what you're implying is, is that I was hanging on the cross. You remember the account. I've been brutalized beyond recognition, left for dead. So they come along and they decide to take me down, still you know, alive, barely breathing. And then a few days later, I recover well enough that when my followers see me, they look at me and they, they thought that I was God. Okay, it's not likely, but listen, you have to admit that the apostles had a lot to gain from claiming that you had been resurrected from the dead. Really? Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I mean, they had status to gain as those who had started a new religion. Okay, that's true. And they did have status. But what you're saying is that the men who wrote about my life and who shared the word about me, the men who told other people that they should love one another, the men who told slaveholders to treat their slaves with dignity, who told husbands to love their wives when women were being treated as just property, who told people to obey the government when the government was turning right around and murdering them, who unleashed the greatest force for good, that they did all that while believing that, that everything was false? Look, what about the Crusades? What about the Salem witch trials? What about the Spanish Inquisition? What about Europe and Northern Ireland, where the Catholics and the Protestants are fighting constantly? I mean, your people are constantly at one another's throats. I know that, and it makes me very sad, Daniel. Why does Christianity have to be such a mixed bag? Look, there are several reasons. The people who perpetrated these things, most of them were not even my followers. I mean, a person can appear to be religious, outwardly speaking, but they were none of mine. They had not placed their trust in me. So you're saying that, that no real Christians have perpetrated any of these things? Um, no, they, they have. Some have. And, and that is a tragedy. It almost seems like the norm. <laughs> it isn't, but it's all too frequent. And the reason is because some of these folks have not learned to live like the new people, Danny, that they already are. I don't... I don't know what you mean there. What I mean is when people put their trust in me and receive eternal life, they get more than just forgiveness. Otherwise, heaven would be populated by forgiven sinners who are still running from God, and God would not have it that way. So what does God do about it? Well, he does more than forgive them, all right? He gives them a, a new heart. It's like, it's like God reaches into their life and, and gives them a a, a brand new spirit within each one of them. And what happens is that in the depths of their being, they start wanting to, to, to do what's right rather than what's wrong. They want to listen to me as I teach them what is good. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> well, often they do, but not always. I mean, a new heart gets you in the game, so to speak, all right? Then, then you got to let me become your instructor. 
and you listen to me and I begin to direct your life and show you how to live out that new life that's, that's within you. But understand this, that some of my followers, they're stubborn. And what they decide to do is they just decide that they're going to they're gonna still try to control their own lives. They kind of want to stay the same. So they remain judgmental or they remain resentful. Sometimes they even become fearful. Danny, my, my followers are not perfect. They stumble and they fall. That's because pride is still at work in their lives. And, you know, pride is always looking for a way to kind of come out. But listen carefully to me. When a person actually puts their trust in me and my spirit living and working in their lives, it brings about a powerful spiritual transformation of life. What are you thinking about? Well, you probably already know my college roommate, James. He was a Christian. I mean, he was the real deal. I got to tell you, I made his life hell that first year in the dorm. Mm -hmm. But he never once retaliated. I mean, he would smile. He'd pick up after me. He'd help sober me up after a night out partying. I mean, by the end of the year, we had become really good friends, and I learned that I could really open up to him about anything, and we talked about God and a lot of different things. And he always used to say to me, Danny, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that, that one day you'll accept that invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Hey, wait a second. Is he the one that put you up to this? <laughs> Depends on whether you believe in the power of prayer, Daniel. So? So what? Look at me, Daniel. Are you ready to put your trust in me? This is a, a strange Christmas for my family and specifically for me. And yet, one of the things about this Christmas season, for at least me personally, is that I probably have gained a greater insight into what Christmas really means this year than I ever have at any other point in my life. And I'll tell you why. It all came to me today when I sat down to email my son Tim who is a Marine serving in Afghanistan tonight. I thought about him and the tens of thousands of other brave young men and women who are there. And I was emailing Tim and as I was typing I told him, I said, Tim, I think even though you're in a difficult and faraway place that you probably this year have an opportunity to understand Christmas in a way unlike so many of us do living here in this very safe and secure place that we call America. And I said, in a strange way, I feel like I also understand something 
unique about Christmas this year. And about six or seven words have crystallized in my own mind that I'd like to share with you that have really changed my whole focus given my son's situation and other young men and women who are serving in a land like that. The first word is absence. I won't forget the day that I took Tim to Midway Airport. He was going to fly back to San Diego and in a matter of days he and other troops would be loaded up and they would make their way to Afghanistan. And I stood there and I didn't want to be emotional with him at the airport, make it hard for him or hard for myself. And uh, I gave him a hug goodbye and he stood like a stiff Marine while I did that. And uh, then he turned around, he walked down that long ramp at Midway and I fought back tears. As I watched my son walk away, thinking to myself, could this be the last time I see him? It made me think about God today. I believe in God. And I can't explain to you the uniqueness of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three separate, but one. And what that must have been like for the Holy Father to watch his son, in a sense, though they were one yet three, watch his son leave the right hand of the Father, leave that holy atmosphere and go. I can't imagine what that was like. I have no comprehension of that. But in just one small little way, because God has feelings, God feels. It must have broke his heart. A second word came to my mind, and that is, that is the word strange. I mean, Tim was leaving, and he was going to a strange place, Afghanistan, a place that I have never been to. I can look at pictures, but I've never actually been there. I've not touched the soil there. I've not breathed the air there. I've not personally seen the surroundings there. And it seems very strange to me. It seems very far away for me. And it must have seemed strange to him as he was trying to figure out where this place is geographically. I mean, he's even had a hard time trying to explain to us where he is. And I thought to myself, you know, Here's the Son of God, and he leaves the Father's right hand, and he goes to this strange ball of dirt in the middle of the universe. You say, well, how do you know it's the middle? I don't know that. Somewhere in this vast universe. And, and this is where he comes. This is where he comes. The third word that's uh, come into my mind is the word Hardship, hardship. You know, uh, we know that our son, like many of our troops over there, is not in an easy place. He's in the south part of Afghanistan near the Pakistani border in Taliban territory. And uh, he is living in a tent 
out in the middle of the desert. They just went in and created a perimeter and uh, put a whole bunch of tents up and that's where they are in the middle of absolutely nowhere in fairly harsh conditions. It's cold there and they have extremes of temperatures and things like that. And I thought about God's son. And I thought about the, the harshness of where he was born. In the middle of the wilderness, in a place called Bethlehem, in a stable or a cave, because there's no room in the inn, and in this little manger that normally held the the hay or the straw that the the cattle would eat. That is where he was laid. How harsh an environment. How difficult a place for one who created the worlds to now rest his head. Another word came to my mind. The word mission. My son, along with other men and women, some your sons and your daughters, mothers, fathers, relatives, are on a mission there. And that mission really is to protect us, to keep the terrorism away from us, away from here, and to try to liberate some of the people there who are really caught between those who would destroy our country, those who would destroy our faith and rule with one type of faith that must be believed and must be followed. He's there in a sense They are there, in a sense, fighting for freedom. Christ came to this world on a mission to bring freedom, freedom from the tyranny of sin in our lives. Sin that that keeps us from being accepted by God because remember, God is perfect that as much as he loves us and wants to forgive us, he can't excuse sin in our lives. There has to be a sacrifice made. There has to be a price paid. And so he sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross in my place so that I could be forgiven of my sins and declared not guilty by God, loved and now accepted by God. That was his mission. unwanted that's the other word that comes to my mind my son your sons your daughters my son is unwanted there nobody wants him there God's son came to this earth and isn't it strange that John tells us he came and it says that his own rejected him many didn't want him They liked life the way it was. They liked being in control. They liked their power. They didn't want their religious system interrupted. They had it all figured out. They just wanted God to comply with it. And so they rejected his son. He was unwanted. Danger. My son is in a dangerous place. He emailed us a couple of weeks ago and said that while they were sleeping, there was a bomb that was being set outside of their camp by one of the terrorists and something went wrong and that bomb went off. And he said, he said, Dad, it shook our tent and woke us all up. A reminder of the everyday danger that our troops face. 
Jesus was born into a dangerous world where a terrorist by the name of Herod, when he found out that one who would be the king of the Jews was born, wanted nothing more than to see him put to death immediately. And remember, Jesus and his family fled to Egypt. Death. I remember a couple of years ago, a replica of the Vietnam Wall was traveling throughout the United States and it was brought and put up here in Lyle. And uh, Tim was thinking about going in the military and I thought, we need to go see that together. And so he and I went over there and somberly walked by the wall and read those names of men who gave their lives Regardless of how you look at history and feel about things politically, at least they were on a mission for freedom, the freedom of others who gave their lives. And I looked at my son, Tim, and I said, Son, do you understand that these individuals have paid the ultimate price for freedom? They have died. And I looked at him and I said, Are you willing to die? Do you believe in freedom that much that you're willing to die, that your name could go on a wall? And obviously, he was and is because he's there. We had to sign some papers before he left that were not easy to sign. And every once in a while, I think about when a phone rings, who might be on the other side? Or when I look out the driveway, I don't want to see any uniforms other than my son and his uniform. I don't want somebody walking up to my door informing me that my son, like some of our sons and daughters, has died for the cause of freedom. But God's son did. He hung on a cross and he died so that you and I could be free from sin, so that you and I could have the hope of eternal life. This Christmas is very different for me. And maybe it is for you. And I guess the question I want to put out there tonight is are you ready? To trust Him if you've not yet put your trust in Him. And if you have put your trust in Christ, can I ask you tonight, what difference is it making as a follower of Jesus? I mean, are you one of those followers who still try to retain control of your own life? And so when people look at you, they, they look at you and they go, I don't see you being much different than me. You're still judgmental. You're still selfish. You're still fearful. Or have you surrendered to his presence in your life in such a way that he now runs your life and he's the Lord of your life? Have you trusted Christ tonight? Have you put him at the center of your life? He's not Santa Claus. He's not a fairy tale. The proof is there. The evidence is there. Far more proof and evidence for his existence and his claims than any other religion that you can come up with. He was more than a religious leader. 
Otherwise, we'd have to accept that what he said was a lie, that he was insane. Because no religious leader claims to be God. And Jesus proved by his life and by his action and by his resurrection, which so many have, had, have tried to disprove over the centuries, and many have come to faith, he has proved that he was who he is. Tonight, would you just mind for a moment bowing your heads with me? It's a sacred night tonight. And it's an opportunity tonight, maybe for some of us, for the very first time, or if we have lived with doubt, to for the final time know with certainty that we have put our faith and trust in Christ. If you're here tonight, you have never Put your faith in Christ. You're unsure if you've ever done that. I'd like to ask you to do me a favor with our heads bowed and eyes closed right where you are right now. If you are ready to put your faith in Christ, I want to pray a prayer with you that you can pray right where you are. And it's not the words that matter as it is the attitude of your heart. But if you're ready tonight to say, I want to put my faith in Christ, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Young or old, it doesn't matter. And then would you pray this prayer with me? Silently, dear Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you really were born on this earth. I believe that you did die on a cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose again on the third day and are now seated at the right hand of the Father and are coming again. Forgive me my sins. Come into my heart and transform my life. I give you my life tonight. If you have prayed that prayer tonight, I want you to know that Christ indeed has come into your life. You have received the gift. The exchange that took place on the cross is now yours. You are declared not guilty before God. If you prayed that prayer tonight when our service is over, could I ask you to do me a favor? Would you mind coming to the guest center And just say to me, I prayed that prayer because I just want to encourage you. I want to give you some literature and help you get on your journey and your walk with God. Several of you, raise your hands tonight. Please, don't rush off. Come and and, and let my soul be blessed and encouraged by speaking to you. And I have a gift of a wonderful book that you'll so thoroughly enjoy, which our drama was based on. It talks about all the reasons why Christ and Christianity is the way the truth, and the life. But as we come to the communion table tonight, we do so because of what's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. It says in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to your town. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Why did Jesus appear to those Why did God allow his son to be viewed, perhaps held by those shepherds who then went to Bethlehem and saw him? Why did God make the announcement to shepherds? Many scholars feel that those shepherds were the ones who were responsible for taking care of the 
sheep who were sacrificed daily at the temple. And it's as though God is saying to them, I want you to be the first ones to see my sacrifice, my little lamb, who will take away the sins of the world. 